Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, a debate over the return of the wild wolf to states where they've disappeared. It's not hard to recognize the call of the wolf. And when asking a question as to whether wolves that have disappeared from some states should be brought back, I think it's kind of tempting to think all or nothing. It's one way or the other, very clear and obvious answer. Maybe you think you love wildlife, there's something romantic and inviting about the call of the wolf in the background, why shouldn't they be naturally in the environment where they used to be? Or maybe you're on the other side and you think it's a no-brainer that wolves are sometimes scary and threatening. Sometimes they threaten the economic standing of ranchers and farmers because they attack their animals. Sometimes they attack pets. But like many things, when you dig down into an issue, there's a lot more nuance. There are, I think, good points made by each side. And I tackled this topic on a recent episode of Full Measure. So today, as we move into the holiday weekend, you will hear more from advocates on each side of this issue. First, you will hear from John Murtaugh, representative in the Rockies and Plains with Defenders of Wildlife, who wants the wolves brought back to Colorado, and they are being brought back there, thanks to a recent vote by voters. Then you will hear from Sean Martini, who's vice president of advocacy with the Colorado Farm Bureau. He's against the return. He lost because voters have already had their say in Colorado. I spoke with both of them On the scene in Colorado, this is an issue that's impacting not just Coloradans because the discussion is taking place in other states, too. First, here's John Murtaugh. Can you briefly set the stage for people who know nothing of this controversy? What's been happening in in Colorado? Absolutely. So at one time, Colorado had a healthy population of wolves all throughout the state but government eradication programs removed them by the 1930s. Because they were attacking wildlife or? The belief was that um, wolves are a threat to human safety and to livestock. Um, it's largely perpetuated by the stories we're all familiar with, you know, your big bad wolf stories. Um, and so there was this belief that predators were really dangerous to agribusiness. And so it would be easier to sterilize the landscape And so these anti-predator campaigns actually also focused on coyotes, cougars, and bears, but they were particularly successful with wolves because of their family structure. It's much easier to find all the wolves in a pack. So by the mid-1900s, for the most part, wolves were considered extirpated in the United States, and extirpated 
It's like extinction. It just means they're no longer living where they used to live. Okay. Then what? So, you know, 80 years go by. Uh, Colorado's been a prime location. The Southern Rockies represents some excellent habitat for gray wolves. Uh, but we've had a really difficult time seeing the wolves return to Colorado. So in 2020, we helped put together a ballot proposal uh, for the election to ask the people of Colorado whether or not they would like to see Colorado Parks and Wildlife begin a reintroduction process. Um, as it happens, that passed. And narrowly, so, right? Narrowly. It was, uh, I think, around 1-2% uh, margin on that pass. And today, we're seeing now Colorado Parks and Wildlife begin to put together the plan. The ballot gives us until the end of 2023 to begin reintroduction. And Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the Wildlife Commission kind of outlined a plan that'll take us up until that, that deadline in 2023. If there weren't that initiative and the wolves were coming back on their own, would there still be a plan in place to eradicate them from Colorado or had that been lifted? Well, so in the state of Colorado, they are state, uh, listed as a state endangered species. So gray wolves in the state of Colorado have state protection even though currently gray wolves no longer have federal protection. Uh, that was a kind of midnight decision in the Trump administration that went into effect in early January. So right now in other states, it's, it's basically state by state. And how do you reintroduce the wolf population to Colorado? You know, that's actually the easiest part. Um, wolves are self-sufficient. They're habitat generalists for the most part. Uh, you know, you could go to a place like Wyoming or Idaho that has a healthy population of wolves, take some of those wild wolves and translocate them here into Colorado. As long as you are releasing them in a place that has water, food, and social tolerance, then they're going to do just fine. And of course, the social tolerance is the most important key in there. Why do you favor reintroducing wolves? So for me, I want to see a healthy ecosystem. I think something all Coloradans love about this state, regardless of your values, where you come from, is we love the natural beauty of Colorado. It's something we treasure. We want to make sure we can uh, keep that for future generations. Wolves play a really important role in the ecosystem. Everything is balanced and connected, and we just want to see some of that population restored to basically protect the biodiversity of the state. Um, not knowing much about it myself, would there be those who say, but we haven't had wolves here for a long time and it hasn't created anything catastrophic? Sure. There absolutely are, are those who'd make that argument. I, you know, that's certainly counter and say we have had some negative impacts as a result. Um, you know, we're seeing all different effects of our ecosystem being in disbalance. Of course, probably the, the most famous in this example is chronic wasting disease. That's a mad cow-esque disease that is ravaging a lot of elk and deer populations. Now, can I one-to-one -one say that's because of the loss of wolves? I'm not going to say that, um, but there's a strong correlation there. And as we look at different changes in the ecosystem over the past hundred years, the lack of that keystone predator seems to be a commonality in a lot of those correlations. Take me through a couple of the common arguments and what your answer to them is. Sure, yeah. Um, well, so of course, one argument is, you know, wolves will come on their own. We won't need to do a reintroduction because they'll be coming in on the state on their own. And the reality is, in order to get here, the gray wolf has to come through Wyoming. And in Wyoming, it's perfectly legal to kill wolves without limit throughout 85% of the state. And so it's very difficult for wolves to physically make it to Colorado. Now, over the past 20 years or so, we have had a few. And while that's exciting, those wolves are not able to find mates. 
And when they can't find mates, they either wander out of the state or, unfortunately, oftentimes their lives end one way or another. So the reality is we haven't seen wolves come to Colorado on their own. In this same time, wolves have migrated throughout western Idaho into Washington and Oregon. So we can see that westward that path exists, but because of the human persecution of wolves in Wyoming, it's very difficult for them to come to Colorado. Is one of the biggest concerns the potential for them attacking livestock and even people? Yep, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of fear-based uh, wolf phobia, um, and these tend to boil down in a couple places. So three, human safety or pet safety, livestock safety, and impacts to game herds. In terms of human safety, that's virtually non-existent. It is exceptionally rare. Wolves are people shy. Um, you know, you step on a twig, they're going to jump six feet in the air and run, um, contrary to what people might think. In terms of livestock safety, statistically it's rare. Um, less than 1% of livestock are, are going to be lost to wolves. And that, this is only counting livestock that live in wolf country. Um, but it does happen. And it does mean something to those ranchers who that's their operation, that's their livelihood, um, and in many cases their passion. And so that's why compensation is necessary. And that's something we will be doing here in Colorado, compensation program. But at Defenders of Wildlife, we want to even go a step beyond that, prevent the losses from ever happening. And that means conflict reduction strategies that we can employ that really keep those losses minimal. Because the last thing we want to see, I don't want to see wolves die because of livestock. And I don't want to see livestock die because of wolves. How do you prevent that? It's a great question. <laughs> um, and, and there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. There are a lot of different tools that need to be used. Some are scare devices, things like turbofladry. These are flags with electricity running through them. That can cause a shock to the wolf if they come in the area. But some of the most effective strategies actually have to do with husbandry, with how you kind of raise and train your cattle, um, how they respond to wolves. So, for example, if a wolf were hunting a herd of bison and the bison were alerted to the wolf, they would create a protective barrier around the vulnerable animals. And the wolves, looking at that, will calculate their risk, and they might decide, this looks tough. Never mind. Let's go back home. We'll, we'll reset. We'll come back tomorrow. Oftentimes, though not always, oftentimes cattle can be vulnerable on the landscape or sheep. Um, they're not protected. They're not always monitored. And so it becomes easier for a wolf to come and take livestock. It's not what we consider their preferred prey. Um, but I'll give you an anecdote. What I often say is, my favorite meal is going to be a home-cooked meal. But sometimes I go to the drive-thru. Well, why would I do that? If I know it's not good for me, I know it's not the best, it's because it's convenient. It's there and it's easy. So as we start to make it hard, the calculation starts to shift for the wolves. And they'll be less likely to pursue livestock. Most people probably will never see a wolf or be directly impacted by one by encountering them. Why do you think people have such strong opinions on this? Yeah, well, you know, in many cases, consider, uh, you know, a lot of these ranchers are, are former homesteaders. It was their grandparents who may have come out and participated in removing the wolf. Um, and so there's this kind of familial loyalty, maybe, that might be, might be baked in there. Otherwise, I think it really is just this concern that wolves are going to disrupt my way of life. You know, that's one more straw on an overburdened ranch that, that's already struggling. And you add one more thing and, you know, that's it. I just can't take it. Um, you know, we really are sympathetic to that. We, we want to try to find that path, like I mentioned, with all this conflict reduction. 
to say, well, hey, you know, maybe there's a way we can have it all. Because in reality, ranchers, they, they love their wilderness too. I mean, there's a reason they chose to live out in it. Um, they love wildlife. And there's just this concern. You know, I think most ranchers, you ask them, they said, look, if that wolf never bothered me, I wouldn't have a problem with him. But he comes on my property, I want to have the right to keep him away from my property. My and they, will they have that right? Or not because they're protected? Currently not because they're protected. Um, there's a, a lot of kind of just different legal definitions that can go into this. Um, it can get a little complicated. But um, basically there can be created some provisions through something called a 10J in the Endangered Species Act that can kind of lax what a, an operator or an owner might be able to do to haze wolves. Um, lastly, looking ahead 10 years... What do you hope to see? What would be the sign of success? The, yeah, I mean, to me, a sign of success would be multiple packs reproducing every year, you know, so creating new generations um, year after year, and ideally, no conflicts. You know, I mean, if we really do this right, um, I, I certainly would never promise zero, but I would like to see livestock losses as low as we possibly can get them. And I really believe Colorado, with everything we can learn from 25 years of wolf reintroduction success in the northern Rockies, we should be able to knock this out of the park and have the best wolf reintroduction the country's ever seen. We'll hear from the other side after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. We're back. How would you summarize the argument that you would make against the reintroduction of wolves? Well, um, you know, it's been a few months now, um, but really the, the biggest thing was um, it was you know, a, a political imposition on what should be a scientific question. Whether or not wolves should be introduced into the state of Colorado is something that should be left up to biologists and ecologists and the people that wild, manage wildlife in the state professionally and do it with the imprimatur of state law um, and the voters of Colorado. And by jumping past them and making what is a scientific question a political one um, and assuming a result and then trying to work backwards from that point um, is really why we said, you know, it's not really a good idea. Um, there's a lot of other reasons. We already have wolves in the state of Colorado. Um, there's issues of fairness and equity. We're sitting here in, in Denver, um, and Denver County voted for uh, wolf introduction by about a two to one margin uh, at least. Um, Nobody here is ever going to have to deal with the impacts of that vote. Um, and it doesn't seem quite fair to folks on the Western Slope um, to have the character of their communities dictated to them 
by folks here in Denver and other parts of Colorado that are never going to see, never going to interact with, and never had to deal with the consequences of that vote taking place. What is the biggest fear among those who don't think wolves should be reintroduced artificially? Well, it's not a fear so much. It's more about the process. It's, it's about doing an end run around an established wildlife management process that we have in the state of Colorado and that we have in uh, the United States of America. It's called the North American Model of Wildlife Conservation. It's based on science and data, not political whims done at the ballot box with what people think they might want, but may not be really good for uh, the environment, for the ecology, for the biology, and the species in question at all. I mean, are you implying that farmers and livestock owners would have been okay with this or would be okay with it if it were biologists and the state officials managing the issue rather than voters voting on it? Well, we probably wouldn't have liked it uh, considering that, uh, you know, their herds are going to be the primary food source for this species. That's what I think. I'm trying to get at that. Like, what's the... But we also have to acknowledge the fact that the species is here in the state. Um, we don't know yet whether or not it's going to become endemic and spread to the levels that proponents would want them to have it be naturally. If they don't, maybe that's a pretty good indication that Mother Nature really doesn't want the species here because this state is not like Wyoming and Montana. It's not like Yellowstone National Park. It's its own place. And trying to compare one versus the other um, seems a little silly when you're talking about science being the one in the driver's seat. It's sort of comparing apples to oranges. Do wolves that already exist in Colorado attacked livestock? Have they posed any issues of concern in recent years? Well, the, the ones that have been seen in northwest Colorado in the pack have been found feeding off of depredated cattle carcasses. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's not been a huge problem yet because we don't have a really robust species, um, with, which is what the ballot initiative is, is going to try and foist on the state. Um, but again, we don't know what the complications and what the, what the impacts might be going forward with the species on its own. We don't know how it's going to interact with the individuals that are placed as a result of the, uh, the decision that the voters made on Prop 114. Um, and so there's, there's more that we don't know than we do know. Um, but the people who are going to lose, regardless of what happens, are the ones who've, who live with the species and will be interacting with it on a daily basis. Looking down the road 10 years, what do you predict if this program moves forward the way proponents want it to move forward? What are you thinking things will look like? You know, I, I can't say. I'm not enough of a biologist to, to make that decision. You know, most voters aren't, which is why we didn't think it was a very good idea for them to preempt the people who do this for a living. You know, I kind of see a couple of different scenarios. One, the wolves that get introduced, um, and reason being, we don't have wolves here. They're drifting down from Wyoming. Um, they're not really endemic to this state because it's not a very appropriate place for them to be. We talked about the fact that it's not Wyoming, Montana. We don't have the same sorts of wide open spaces here in the state of Colorado that they do in the northern Rockies. There's a lot of people here. We just gained a congressional seat. There's more people coming. We've got ski areas. We've got pipelines. We've got interstate transmission lines and housing developments. We don't have the same kind of open vistas. While there's wild land here in this state, it's not at the size that would be necessary uh, to be able to support the kinds of populations that we see in Wyoming and Montana. And that's not happening naturally, I think, because of that very fact. And so I would assume either the species is going to be introduced and continually having to replenish 
those individuals um, through the management of Colorado Parks and Wildlife because they're not going to be very successful here. Either that or they're really successful in very concentrated places on the Western Slope, Northwest Colorado, Southwest Colorado, places like that, and have really damaging impacts in that very narrow space where they're going to be introduced because they can't branch out. They can't range over the same amount of, of acres um, in the same area as they would in the Northern Rocky States where they do now. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, each have well over a million downloads now. Thank you for making them much listened to. And I hope if you like the topics that we tackle, you share the podcast with your friends and leave great reviews wherever you can. I'm working on more original episodes of my TV program, Full Measure. We feed to 43 million U.S. households every Sunday. If you want to find a station near you, go to CherylAckeson.com, click the Full Measure tab, and you'll see the station list. But if you don't have a TV station in your area, you can always watch for free online at FullMeasure.News. FullMeasure.News replays the last program are posted there now. And each week's program is posted on Sundays after it airs on TV around noon Eastern time. Again, that's at fullmeasure.news. You can even catch it live there at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. We also have a free app called Stir, S-T-I-R-R. There are a lot of other cool things on Stir as well. Entertainment, local news, all kinds of other programming, but including Full Measure Live On Demand. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself. <laughs>